And would you welcome him as I tell you a little more about him. I uh, first heard Floyd 20 years ago in college. He's led many different ministries, but he's just been such a father in the faith. And his book, The Father Heart of God, has been a foundational work for all our training school students as they read that beforehand, but specifically his book, Living on the Devil's Doorstep, and his adventure of going into Afghanistan and then into Amsterdam subsequently inspired me to live a life of faith and trusting God. And we built a, a friendship and a relationship, and it's just one of those huge privileges when one of your heroes, one of your forefathers, steps in the room and you're like, I can't believe you're actually here with us. So I I can't uh, wait for you guys to hear from him. So as he comes, will you just extend your hand towards him as we pray for him to give us a great word today. We love Floyd. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this man who's so impacted my life. He's had a huge impact on this church, even though it's his first time here with us. Use him in a powerful way as he brings your word to us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Good morning. How you doing? I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Hey, that's why we're here. The good news is he loved us first. He loves us most. I like to say to my grandkids, I love you more because I'm bigger and I've got more to give. He is so infinite in his love and his mercy and his goodness and kindness. His love is so pure. It's not like he like needs to love us to become something bigger or different or to get something from us. It's just pure love that he gives to us. I love my wife, Sally, too. Sally's in the back, I think. She is. Can you welcome my wife, Sally? I'm really glad Sally's here. Last year, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and a week later, they took out a tumor, and she went through chemo, and she's alive, and I'm really, really happy. She's got it all clear from the doctors, and we're just keeping our spiritual fingers, which is, means prayer. We're praying like crazy that she'll continue to be that way. We're here in the States on a rest break and to hang out with friends like Robert and family here and also to see the grandkids and to see the grandkids and really to see the grandkids. I mean, like, we, uh, we've missed them. We live over in Africa and they're here in the States, so we're excited about that and to give Sally a chance to rest. But our home's Africa. We, our home's in Cape Town. We love Africa. We've been traveling in Africa for the last 35 years, 36 years. And we've lived in Cape Town for the last nine years. I'm so glad God got me into Africa. I, you know, when you go to Africa, you get a bug. You get the virus. Anybody got the Africa virus? I got the Africa virus, man. I got it. It's just like, it's called, I love Africa. It just gets into your heart. The African people are so incredible. There's many different cultures, but running right through all the cultures and languages of Africa is hospitality, sacrifice, passionate spirituality, celebration. I try to dance like an African. I've even said I'm an African-American. 
but they don't believe that. <laughs> I said, Floyd, you're embarrassing this man. Just kind of like be cool it. So I made a deal with some of my African friends and with Jesus. I'm going to sit in the African section in heaven and I'm going to dance more than all you white guys. <laughs> I'm going to get that anointing. No, we love very much that God's put us in Africa. Africa has been enslaved. Africans have been captured by colonial powers for hundreds and hundreds of years. But now God is using Africa to minister to the colonies, can I say it? Uh, the empire striking back, if I could say it that way. The largest churches in Europe today are led by Africans. Sophisticated, cultured Europe is spiritually needing the passion and the, and the beauty of Africa. And so the largest church in and the Ukraines, 20-some thousand people, started by an African. The largest church in Amsterdam, where I lived for years, pastored by an African, started and led by an African. The largest church in the UK, African. So I say, praise God. God's using Africa. He's going to, like, save the best for last. <laughs> so we are there training and equipping and mobilizing Africans to be church planters. And oh my gosh, God is using some of the African brothers and sisters to do some amazing things. Africa is a big continent, 55 countries. Six of them are island nations. There's about 1.2 billion people in Africa, 350 million Muslims, 926 languages that are not yet able to worship Jesus in their own language. Can you imagine? 926 African languages have never been heard in heaven. And so our passion, my passion, we started a ministry 21 years ago called All Nations. Our passion is church planting, disciple making, and leadership training, especially in the hard places. Do you know all the easy places have been taken? It's like I'm looking for people who will go to the hard places. We're talking the Horn of Africa, Somalia, Sudan, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Djibouti, some of those tough places. If you want to go to a tough place, you talk to your leaders here. I'll talk to them and we'll make a plan. We'll help you get there. I've also been really moved lately by the crisis that's going on in Syria. Two years ago, I was in a prayer meeting. We'd made the challenge and the move to go to South Africa. And then the Lord started saying, I've got fresh challenge for you. I said, okay, Lord, where? And I didn't feel like the Lord said move, but I felt like he said, move your feet. And uh, a friend of mine, myself, Jim Yost, myself, they said, let's do it. And so we went up and got involved in the camps in Jordan and Lebanon for the Syrian refugees. It is the greatest immigration crisis that is taking place today since World War II. You've been seeing the pictures. Thousands of people just want a meal. They want freedom. They want hope. And I want to tell you what's happened. I have never in 50 years seen such spiritual hunger and openness amongst Muslims as I've seen amongst the Syrian refugees. I've sit in their camps. I've sit on the floor with them. I've never been turned down. Our teams are working there. Teams from Antioch are working there. Guys, it's a moment for us. It's an hour in history. It won't be, this open door won't be open forever. And I'm passionate about it. So there you go. You can either go to Africa or you can go to Syria. I mean, it's good sales. They say never give people a yes or no choice, right? Always give them, like you can choose the brown shoes or the black shoes. I'm saying you can go to Syria or you can go to Africa. <laughs> hey, I brought some books along as well. Um, 
My English teacher from high school, if she knew I was writing books, she'd be raised from the dead. She would like, <laughs> miracles happen. I did not get good grades in English class, but Sally and I've written a book about our experiences in Afghanistan and in Amsterdam called Living on the Devil's Doorstep. We wrote this with families in mind about how to have an adventure and still experience God's love as a family. So a lot of values and principles, but a lot of stories. You can read it to your kids or to your grandkids if you'd like. Living on the Devil's Doorstep. And uh, Leading Like Jesus. Uh, I just finished this book. just came out a few, um, about two months ago. It's about the Gospel of John, or actually it's about Jesus and his words or example about leading. So 40 short chapters, each one of them a devotional chapter, three or four pages long, from the Gospel of John. How many of you know, if we do it like Jesus, we won't be sorry? If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will not get cynical, you will not get burned out, you will not get disappointed. But if you get your eyes off Jesus, at the end of your life, you're going to be burned out and hurt and disappointed. So I have one word for you, Jesus. Everybody say that word with me, Jesus. Just get your eyes on Jesus. So that's the whole goal, pointing people back to Jesus, yet drawing from the wisdom of Jesus. And uh, if you are like me and you like cities, I'm a city guy, I love cities. I wrote a book called Seeing the City Through the Eyes of God. That's for you. And uh, lastly, uh, The Father Heart of God. Uh, this is about how to experience God's love as a father and how to be a father or mother in the Lord to others. Almost every single human being I've ever met has somehow missing something from their earthly fathers. As good as they might be, we still miss our father's love. So this is about the love of the father, how to be healed when there's wounds, and then how to love others. I wrote this um, for Hans and Ellen, who did not know Jesus. They cut Sally's hair and cut my hair, like a long ways from Jesus, kind of anti-Jesus. And so I would have conversations, and when after I would get my hair cut and have a conversation, then I would go back and I'd write some more, because I wanted them to know about our Papa in heaven. So that's there. They're all on the back, out that back door. Sally will be there by a table, and I'll be there. I'd love to greet you. And if you'd like to get a little prayer card and pray for us, we'd love that very much. It's got our pictures on there. So Jesus gives invitations. He gives commands. Sometimes we focus on the commands, but if we focus on the commands without focusing on the, on, on the invitations, what happens is becomes like duty in our life. We like have to perform to get God to love us. So people who follow Jesus will either live one of two ways. I will either do things because of his love, therefore my obedience is a love response to Jesus, or I'll do things in order to get him to love me. But Jesus came to free us, can I say it, from religion. Religion puts weights on you. Jesus sets you free from those weights. There's still obedience. What would life be without doing the right thing? But it now comes out of our hearts. So can I say it this way? Obedience as a follower of Jesus is gratitude. Like when I got married, 
to Sally, I didn't have to have a cop following me around with a gun pointed at my head saying, love your wife. When I fell in love with Sally, can you believe this? Like, man, I was into sports. I started writing love poems and love letters. I don't know what happened to me. I fell in love. I certainly didn't need anybody to tell me you have to love her. I met this girl in Texas. Can you believe good things come from Texas? <laughs> Sally comes from Texas, and we fell in love. It was a love relationship. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. And here's one of the big like bonuses is we get a family to belong to. I've learned in Africa, you know, sometimes people are like missionaries and they think they're called to a people. I learned that Africa was called to me. I needed Africa. And I've learned about family in Africa. I've been taken in by families in Africa where they've shared so sacrificially with such joy. They shared everything they had. There's such a sense of family and community. This is what Jesus has come to give us. See, I learned from my African brothers and sisters. One of them, a guy named Bruce Chitambala from Zambia. Bruce said to me, Floyd, if you speak to us Africans about church is family, we get it. If it's like a program with a chief at the top, we know about chiefs. One African brother said to me from Malawi, Joseph Banda, Joseph said, Floyd, Africans know law. We've had colonial law. We have tribal law. We've had church law. But teach us about love. So what Jesus has come to give us is not law, but love. Love that gets into the heart. You know, Jesus doesn't try to change us from the outside. That's called behavior modification. <laughs> he doesn't come to like modify your behavior and get you to look good on the outside, but he ignores the inside. He starts on the inside. I, I, like, I like dogs. Any dog lovers here? If you're a cat lover, I just want to have a moment of prayer for you. Like, have you ever tried to train a cat? Like, cats, they need deliverance. Cats need serious need deliverance, man. If you love cats, don't get mad at me. I'm just having fun, okay. But I love to train dogs. I've trained labs, and now I have an Airedale. You know, I can really train a dog to change their behavior, but they still have a doggy heart, right? Well, God starts on the inside. Jesus wants to get in the inside and change the heart from the inside. So one of the things he says is, I'm going to create a family. And I'm going to invite you to belong to that family and give you a safe place. I'm going to give you your identity. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to give you a place of belonging. That's what families are for. Think of it. The first human creation on this planet, first thing that God created, humanly speaking, was he created a family. He created Adam and Eve. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So here's what he did. The overflow of the heavenly family, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, overflowed into Adam and Eve. And that's the heart of what church is. It's about family. But sadly, families have been damaged. 
Families have been broken. We hurt each other. We abuse each other. We forsake each other. It's happened to every single human family to one degree or another. We're not perfect. So this thing called death or shame. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned? They went and they hid. They were shamed. And that shame just is like a cancer. It just eats through our bodies and our spirits and our souls. And we find ourselves wanting something we were created for, but unable to live it out. So here's Satan. He comes to Eve in the garden. What does he say? Let me summarize for you. If you do this, you'll get that. Now, God said, I'm going to give you everything. Satan said, you have to do something to get what God was already giving. That's called religion. Earn what God wants to give you as a free gift. You can never earn what God gives. Amen? He just says, open your heart and give me your heart. You can't receive what he has to give with a divided heart. And that's what happens in broken families. We get divided. So Jesus came to rescue us from our brokenness. We know we're broken. We know that we've got issues. And here's Jesus. Well, let me say, here's not Jesus. He didn't come pointing the finger. He didn't come like with a sword in his hand. He came with nails in his hands. Think of it. And his nails put his hands out and he put his arms out. And that became who he was on the cross saying, I am open. Come. Come with your brokenness. Come with your pain. Come with your shame. Come with your longing. Come with what you want. I've created you for me. I've created you for family. And I'm going to restore it to you. Just come. And all he asks is, we just humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I need you. Can you say those words with me? Jesus, just say them out loud. Jesus, I need you. You know, it's like I found the hardest words to say to my wife when we got married was, I'm wrong. One day I was kind of ticked off at Sally. We were living in Amsterdam. We'd had a fight, a disagreement. And I was like, okay, I should go to her. But I thought, man, I've gone to her and humbled myself so many times. It's her turn to come first to me. You ever been there? And then the Lord spoke to me and he said these most comforting words. Son, you want to be the leader in the family? And I said, yeah. And he said, lead in humility. <laughs> I thought, oh, rats, <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> he said, you lead by going and saying, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And that's what Jesus wants to hear. No kind of hiding, no performing, no earning. You can never earn what he gives. It's a gift. He just wants to come and bless us. So God wants to lead us to that place where we become family. I've learned about family in Afghanistan. I've learned it about in Amsterdam. I've learned about it in Africa. We call it the three A's. Af Afghanistan, Amsterdam, and Africa in our journey. 
a young lady was living with us in Afghanistan. In Kabul, we ran an open home. We welcomed people into our hearts and homes. We were running a community for backpackers in Afghanistan, working secretly with the underground church in Afghanistan. It was illegal to be a Christian for the Afghans. But there were backpackers, tens of thousands of backpackers passing through Kabul, Afghanistan, of all places where the Taliban are now. They came through. We would take them in when they got sick. When they were in prison, we helped them get out. When they lost their money, we'd help them get their lives back together, and they'd come and live with us. And we just lived Christian family. I learned church's family by living it there. There's a young lady living with us. She had, oh, such a despairing demeanor. But her name was Hope. I said, Hope, did your parents name you Hope? She said, no, I chose that name. Why did you choose that name? Because I had no hope and I wanted it. She was searching for it, living with us. So every morning we would begin the morning after breakfast by having what we called a family time. We would read the Bible, we'd pray and sing together before we'd clean the house and do errands. And then we'd go out and we'd run a free clinic and did all kinds of things for people in need. Hope came to me one day after our family time. She had her Bible open. She was reading the book of Acts for the first time. Can you imagine? Never read the Bible before. Reading the book of Acts for the first time. Here's what she said. Have you read this? <laughs> I said, yeah, what do you think? She said, this is exactly what we're doing. We're like doing what they did. <laughs> That's what Jesus did for the church. He set them free from religion so they could become a family where people belong where could they could be set free from shame. The sins could be washed away. They could find their true identity and find purpose in life. That's what happens in church. God uses church to help people find out who they really are. One young lady working with us in Amsterdam in the red light district came to me one day, came to Sally and I, and she said these words. I'll never forget, I was so sad she said, I'm tired of hiding my identity. I'm going to come out of the closet. I'm gay. I'm a lesbian. And I looked at her and I said these words to her. I said, sweetheart, that's what you've done. That's not who you are. Our identity is not based on our behavior. Our identity is based on the fact that he's created us in his image. And when we come to him, he recreates us in his image. Every single human being has temptations in the present. And we have sins in the past. And Jesus says, you are not your temptation and you are not your sin. I purchase you by my blood and I give you a whole new start in life. I give you a new birth, a new spirit. I put my heart in you, and I start over with you again in life. Man, I'm so glad, aren't you? I've had, well, I've had the demon of speed. <laughs> I've had the ice cream demon. I've had lots of different temptations. I'm not, I'm not any of the things I've done. I am who he declares me to be. I am a love son. That's who God tells us we are. So God uses the church to restore people to family. 
I want to tell you a story from the Gospel of John about family. This was a family that Jesus had, kind of an extended family. And this extended family, beyond his natural mother and his brothers, Jesus got very close to them, and it became very meaningful for them. There was a guy named Lazarus, and there were two sisters, Mary and Martha. They became, well, so close. I'd like us to read about them in John chapter 11. We're going to put the passage up for us on the screen, and we can follow it there. John chapter 11, if you'd like to follow along. I'd like a volunteer. Somebody come up and lead us out. Who's going to help me? Okay, great. Come on up. Can we get a mic? They got a mic for you there in the front row? Come on up here. Just follow the steps on around. Come on up. What's your name? Lewis. Hey, Lewis. Nice to meet you, man. So, Lewis, you can just position yourself so you can see this screen. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to flip over two or three times. You can just read it when you get to the end and go to the next screen. It's okay? Cool. A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. It was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love so much is sick. When Jesus got the message, he said, the sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's son. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. They said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back? Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he might very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. He said things... He said these things and then announced, Our friend Lazarus, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up, the disciples said. Master, if he's gone to sleep, well, get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. Then Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died. And I, I am glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him. Then when Thomas, the one called the twin, said to his companions, come along, we might as well die with him. Cool, thank you, good job. That's it, yeah, you can give him a hand. Amen, give him a hand. I love the honesty. Well, let's go ahead, like, we might as well die like him. Anybody here have been like Thomas? Yeah, come on. I see like three hands. Any Thomases here? Come on. I, man, can you identify with Mary and Martha? 
when Jesus finally does come, they run to Jesus and they say, if only you had been here, if only you had come. Have you ever prayed a prayer and then like Jesus didn't answer it on time? You ever had one of those kind of? I was in a prayer meeting once in Amsterdam. Oh my goodness. I was in like the worst prayer meeting of all history. It's like, you ever been to a prayer meeting? It's like Jesus decided not to come. He was just like went to somebody else's prayer meeting. You ever been to one of those? Like dead, boring. I mean, it's like you tried to pray and it's just like, boom. So there's about 10 or 12 of us and we're praying. I'd heard when I went to Amsterdam, a famous Christian said, if he went to a city, he would walk the streets of the city for six months, getting God's heart for the city. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do that too. So I walk the streets of Amsterdam. I get on all the trains and buses and trams come down to the central square. So I thought, okay, I'll get on a train. I'll get on a bus. I'll get on a tram. I'll ride it to the end of the line, and then I'll just walk back. There's a long ways. The trouble was, the more I prayed, the more unbelief I had. <laughs> I'm just being honest. It was me. I would see the city. I'd see the problems. I would walk through neighborhoods with high-rise buildings called the Baumamir, 50,000 people and not one single Christian. We did a survey. We found five churches that believed the Bible was true. People didn't like Christians. They didn't like God. It was such a hard place. And pornography, the red light district, they bragged about sexual and morality. They bragged. They had child pornography, kitty porn. They sold a billion dollars a year of kitty porn per year from the red light district. It was a heavy, heavy place. So here we are one night in a prayer meeting, praying our hearts out. And it was like going nowhere. And I had a friend visiting. And she was sitting in, she's kind of like a spiritual mother to me. And she was sitting in the meeting, much older lady. So I'm just this young guy. And she taps me on the shoulder. She said, can I say something? I said, please say something. Here's what she said. I have never been in a prayer meeting in my entire life where there's more unbelief than this prayer meeting. And I'm thinking, great. I'm the leader of the prayer meeting setting world records in unbelief. It was like true. And she said, here's your problem. You are more impressed with the sin of the city than you are with the mercy and love of God to change this city. You are more impressed with your circumstances than you are with God's ability to change your circumstances. You know what? I made a vow with God. I've only made a few in my life, but here is my vow. I said, God, by your grace, never again will I be more impressed with circumstances than I am with you. Man, can you imagine Martha and Mary's circumstances? They know Jesus, they trust him, they believe him, and he doesn't show up on time. But Jesus had a plan. How many of you know Jesus always has a plan? We think he's late, and he's got a plan. He wants to do something. He allows us sometimes to get ourselves in situations where we think the prayer is not being answered, but he's setting it up to do something in our lives. Come on, get your eyes on Jesus. 
Don't get your eyes on circumstances or what you wanted to Jesus to do, but you didn't get what you wanted. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Just Jesus. And you'll never become cynical or disappointed. You'll never get your heart away from him if you keep your eyes on him. I've been serving Jesus for 50 years. I love him more today. But you know, I've had to die a few times. One time, a friend betrayed me. I loved this guy so much, and he betrayed so deeply. I was walking down the street praying one morning, and I was talking to Jesus, and all of a sudden, I found myself having a mental conversation with this guy, telling him off. God. You ever have that happen? Like, you're supposed to be talking to God, and all of a sudden, you're like telling somebody off in your mind? Come on, you ever do that? Yeah. It's there. It's just coming out, right? I found out something. It's a good time for what's ever there to come up if we're talking to Jesus. So I've just learned, roll with it. If it's there and it comes up in my thoughts, I just say, Lord Jesus, here it is. I'm either, and here's something. Whatever's in your heart, name it. Because if you can't name it, you can't master it. Unnamed emotions become the seed ground for the enemy's lies to lie to us. Unresolved pain fuels and inspires and gives energy to the lies of the enemy. So if it's in your heart, bring it out. So I said to the Lord, Lord, he lied to me. He betrayed me. He broke promises. And here's what the Lord said. I love it. Jesus just like says what you don't want him to say, right? He said, everything that has been stolen from you, give it. Everything that's been taken, give it. So I had a time where I just started saying, Lord, this was taken. He said, give it. That was taken, give it. Promises, people, money. The Lord just said, give it, give it, give it, give it. And you know what? I went home. I wasn't mad anymore. I was free. I was able to give what had already been taken. And here's what the Lord said. If you give what has already been taken, I will account it to you as righteousness. You still have a choice. I want to tell you something. You have a choice after it happens. <laughs> Sometimes you only think you have a choice before something bad happens. But Jesus works this way. He takes bad things and he makes them good. <laughs> He's an active creator. We create lemons, he makes lemonade. We have bad apples, he makes apple pie. <laughs> I met a lady named Corey Timboom in Amsterdam one time. And she said, God takes our sins and the sins of others and he casts them into the sea of his forgetfulness and he puts up a sign that says, no fishing. <laughs> it's like it's there, it's under the blood and he frees our hearts if we're just bringing our hearts to Jesus and he loves to do this. So Mary and Martha bring their hearts to Jesus. They both come independently. If you read the story, we won't take time to read it now. Martha comes, Mary comes, and here's what they say. If only you had been here. And Jesus responds to the two sisters differently. You know, he doesn't always talk to us the way he talks to other Christians. There's a scene in Narnia where Lucy is complaining to Aslan about being with Peter more than with her. I love this scene. You know the Narnia Chronicles, right? 
So Jesus says to Lucy, sorry, Aslan, says to Lucy, that's not your story. You got to take care of your story with Jesus. Martha comes to Jesus. She's the one that's always running around, busy doing things. See, what had come into this family is what I call the orphan spirit. They felt abandoned by Jesus. They felt all alone. They felt isolated. Can you imagine? Surrounded by all the Jewish people with all that religion. Here they were. And Jesus actually rebukes Martha for her busy spirit, her religious spirit. And he encourages Mary. Let me tell you, Jesus is not always fair. Have your kids ever said to you, that's not fair? You ever said it? Come on. We say it to our father. Kids say it to us as fathers. That's not fair. And Jesus says, that's none of your business. <laughs> I'm up to something else. I've got another purpose. I'm going to bring glory. But he needs us to turn it over. If we don't do it, this orphan spirit gets in our heart. The orphan spirit is characterized by separation, a spirit of rejection, abandonment. It takes hold in our hearts. And so it tempts us when the orphan spirit, like Mary and Martha, kind of entered into in this crisis. Here's what happens. We face certain temptations when that orphan thing gets in our heart. We're tempted to reject others before they reject us. You reject me, I'll reject you back. Or we get detached from people. We separate. We build walls to protect ourselves. We kind of go quiet. We struggle to commit to a spiritual family. If I was hurt by that church, I'm just going to sit and watch what's going on in this church. I feel safer if I can just drop in on Sunday and then drop back out. You know what? We're keeping a distance to protect our hearts. Man, Americans are good at what I call the detachment disorder, the spiritual disease that comes out of the orphan spirit. says, I will watch, I'll be a spectator, but I won't belong. And God wants to free us from that so that we can feel open and give our hearts to people. The orphan spirit causes us and tempts us to form bonds with other orphans. <laughs> it's amazing how people have got a rejection spirit, got a blame thing going on. They got walls up in their heart. They just like magnets. They find other orphans. They find each other. And if you're in one of those situations where you found somebody with the same spirit, I'll tell you what to do. You like run the other way. <laughs> because it's nothing good or healing or God glorifying is going to come out of forming a bond with somebody else with the same brokenness in their spirit. You need something healthy. The orphan spirit produces doubt about who we really are and who Jesus is to us. Our hearts get filled with unbelief. But here's what Jesus did. He showed up even though he was late. He stood in front of the tomb of Lazarus. And then we read about this in verses 34 to 36. And here's what it says. Jesus stood in front of the tomb. There's no words anywhere else spoken in the New Testament like these words. Never is it said 
anywhere else by anybody else. Here's what it says like in the Greek language. And Jesus was filled with rage. It says in some of the translation, he groaned in his spirit. Why? Because he didn't create this planet to be filled with death. He's standing before the tomb of his friend Lazarus, and he's angry about it. The creator has stepped into his creation, and he's saying, my creation is marred by sin and by brokenness. And he was grieved in his spirit. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead. And he was saying, even though this world is broken, I've come into this very world. I've not left myself distant from you. I've stepped into it. I've gone through all that you've gone through. I've borne all the pain and shame. It says in the prophecy in Isaiah, he has carried our sorrows. He's carried our pain with him on the cross. And then he says with arms open wide, I want to free you from your pain. I want to heal you. I want to restore you to who you are. You know what I find sad is some nations have, a, have an orphan spirit. Some races, some cultures get an orphan spirit. But please, if that orphan spirit has got into your heart, please, today, I want to say to you, Jesus wants to resurrect your heart. He wants to give you new life. He said this to one man in the New Testament, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus said, how can I have a new life? Am I going to get in my mother's womb again? And Jesus said, no. You were born of water, but you're going to be born from above, literally is what Jesus said. The Spirit is going to come and give you a new beginning, a new life. That's what he's come to offer us. Let's pray together. We need you. We can't raise ourselves from the dead. We've tried, but we can't heal our own hearts. We try to get free from this orphan thing, but it follows us around. It's like attached to us. Jesus, we need your resurrection power to break the power of death in our hearts, to break the stronghold of Satan's lies over our minds and spirits. And so we ask you today, as you stand over us and you weep over us, you groan in your spirit over us, will you raise us up and give us new life? If you need new life today, he's come to resurrect your spirit and your heart. To those of you who have been walking with Jesus, following him, but your heart has died, for whatever cause Jesus says to you, I want to resurrect your heart. If you walked with him, but you turned way away from him, Jesus says, I died for you. I don't hold a sword over you. I hold my hands out open to you. If you've never known him, this is what it means. Jesus has come to rescue your heart and be close to you. Get inside of your heart and change you from the inside. You don't have to get yourself perfect for Jesus. He says, come like you are. 
I want, to, I want us to pray for you today. Let's stand together. Do you need Jesus today? Do you need him in your life? I'd like to invite you to come and stand with me down here. Your way, coming down here is your way of saying, Floyd, I need a new beginning. I need Jesus in my heart. I need my heart back. I've lost my heart somewhere. So while the guys play, I'm going to ask you just to come and stand at the front. Whether you've known him before or you've known him for a long time, would you come and just join us right here in the front? And as you come, I'm going to ask some others to come and join with you, pray with you. Please all come on down as we sing. prayer would you come as well you need healing from in a relationship you need God to break through and work for you we want to pray with you and stand we love to believe as a church that Jesus has come to give life so you come on down as we continue to sing I'd like some of the life group leaders to come and join us just stand with those who are here to pray with them and agree just keep singing I could just get some life group leaders to come down, just start putting your hands on these different ones that are down here, and also if I can get some on the side. If God's touching your heart today, I just want to invite you to come now. For some of you, you might be giving your life to Jesus today, and I want you to ask one of our leaders for one of these books. Just talk specifically about God's Father's love for you. We want to put this in your hand as a free resource today. Different ones will have this down here to give to you. If you need healing today, I want to encourage you to just come to the side of the room and different leaders will be standing up against these different sides. Leaders, can you just wave your hands right here? Different ones on the sides. They're ready to pray for you. Whatever God's doing in your heart today. I also, just as Floyd was speaking this, I know that there's some hurt in regards to the church. In every family, there's hurt and the church is a family and so some people, there's hurt that you carry coming into God's family. And if that's you this morning, I believe that God wants to just speak a word over you to help bring you freedom, peace, and release from the pain you've carried. So I want to invite you up as well. I'm going to need a few more leaders up here. So if leaders, if you can just come and stand right here, anybody that has one of these life group shirts on, if you guys would come forward right now, we just want to pray for you. Stephen's going to lead us in just a few more minutes of worship, but you move as God is meeting you. We always want to minister the heart of Jesus as he is moving among us.